like I'm an indie RPG person who sells a game at cost on Amazon. Like I don't care. Copy my game. I, if more people are playing RPGs as a result, great. Now, if this is your livelihood, that's totally up to you. You got to do what you got to do, and I'm fine with that. Um, I just prefer personally if we're all running elf games and we're using you know our own homebrew old school rule sets anyways here is one that might save you some time hi it's gary snow from the daiku podcast and i'm here with yohai gal hi gary thank you for thank you for for making your best effort to say my name it's i really do appreciate it I, I really have to apologize. I'll do, I'll keep working at it. And, uh, you're you're but, good. You're good. But, uh, anyways, I've uh, been watching your progress on all the games that you've been making and you're the author of uh, Karen and a few other products in supporting Into the Odd. But before we get into some of those uh, really good products that you've been making, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you fell in love with role-playing games. Uh, yeah, so I started with role-playing games um, when I was in high school, and I'll kind of get to that, um, but I had, like many others, I had a long break between when I originally found them and when I kind of got back into them again. Um, as you uh, alluded to, I <laughs> I have an unusual name. I'm, I'm originally from Israel. Um, my mother is from the U.S. and emigrated to Israel when she was um, uh, in her teens, and we lived there until the late 80s and then moved back to the United States. Um, I grew up mostly around California, and um, although my first language is Hebrew, uh, you know, every day I, <laughs> I speak English, and um, although I speak Hebrew to my son and to my parents, it's, you know, I think I, my cultural inspirations are largely Jewish and Middle Eastern and, of course, American and oddly British. Like, I, I'm reading this book on Jewish folktales from England right now, which is oh. apparently a, a thing, so... Um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting mix of that. And, and a lot of those sources have led to um, the types of content I find very inspiring, um, especially kind of Eastern European folk around forests, as probably is evident mm -hmm. with Cairn, although you might not see it as much in Cairn right now. Um, I, will, I will be putting out some stuff later that sort of reconciles those two uh, <laughs> sources of inspiration for me. Um, like many, of our uh, community, I found role-playing through high school experiences, not through other people actually, but I found a copy of um, uh, Palladium Fantasy, which I now realize was second edition, but I thought was first, or maybe it was the other way around. Anyways, Palladium Fantasy, uh, when I was in high school, I found it at a used bookstore, and um, I, it was complete mind-opening situation. I, I, I loved that you could be like changelings and wolfkin and all these weird things. And although I was already very uh, much enmeshed in science fiction and fantasy, that the idea of um, storytelling in, the, in those worlds was totally new to me. And uh, I actually had no one to play with. I would play by myself. I would make characters <laughs> and pretend. And I mean, I was yeah. 15 or 16 at the time. Um, after something like 15 years. Um, uh, I mean, I, I took a long break. And when I was in my early 30s or late 20s, my um, now brother-in-law, he was uh, hit by a car. And during his recovery, and he's fine. But during his recovery, um, I said, oh, let me learn how to be a DM for fifth edition, which he had just kind of gotten into. Mm -hmm. um, he was like an old uh, 3.5 and Pathfinder guy. And, he, and I had said, oh, let me learn to be a DM for you while you're recovering because he could not move. Um, so I bought the DMG and, and the Monster Manual and PHP um, and then another PHP and uh, started learning to run it, uh, got really into it. I even like wrote a module for it um, based in Faerun and I got like, uh, I was running it at least twice a week for oh, at least two years. I mean, not really consistently um, with, a, with him and with a group of other people. Uh, and then I discovered The Quiet Year, actually, um, which is a story game by Avery Alder that's um, also Canadian, that is uh, about rebuilding a society after the fall of humankind and before something 
horrible or possibly possibly not horrible uh arrives so you have like a year to build this uh civilization it's 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 a quick game um mm -hmm. uses a deck of cards it's awesome and that completely opened my mind to new new ways of telling stories um from there i went to pbta games like dungeon world and um, monster of the week and uh, other similar games and after that i just said goodbye to fifth edition completely um i i mean i was running dungeon world every saturday with complete strangers for i mean i, I over over probably almost two years again i did like year and a half or two years of just complete strangers every single saturday um which really taught me how to kind of gm on the fly uh i wrote a game called one shot world which is a hack of dungeon world but only for one shots is the idea obviously um, and that was my first kind of legit game from there i wrote a couple of small adventures um mostly for dungeon world which is honestly a very hard thing to do <laughs> and then um eventually i found the osr i mean i think i found the osr while i was getting into pbta stuff and it was at the time pretty um inaccessible to people like me because i felt like um there were some bad apples who are for the most part no longer there and um uh yeah around the time of g plus's complete collapse is when i launched all into uh osr games i think the first for me was nave and then mm. maze rats so the kind of questing beast yeah. journey Milton, yeah. um, I, I love maze rats i think it's one of the greatest games ever invented i think nave is similarly really amazing if you want just like a free easy to use toolkit for running old school games i mean it's really really great um maze rats doesn't have a lot of content for it you know there's to my knowledge like one adventure written for it in, at least in english i think there's a couple in french and um that led me to into the odd Oh, I guess I, I I forgot to include World of Dungeons, which was in there too, which is itself also <laughs> slightly based on Into the Odd. At least it says that's actually the first time I had heard of Into the Odd was in the credits to World of Dungeons, which is itself just part of the Dungeon yeah. World universe. And you know, it was part of the Kickstarter. And on the bottom, it credits Chris McDowell. And I I, I remember thinking, oh, who is that? And um, I went to his blog, which I think was. Uh, Suka games at the time. Now it's just bastionland.com. Yeah. One of the best blogs on the internet, uh, most thoughtful and clear um, blogs about this style of role-playing. So before we get into maybe into the odd and kind of picking that apart, uh, mm -hmm. what really enticed you to PBTA and then OSR as far as the style of play and the, is it the narrative? Is it the the way player agency and on the fly adventure building? Yeah, I, I so I feel like my understanding of what I liked changed over time. It was always the same. I had this feeling. Um, it started with board games. You know, I would play something like Descent. I used to play Descent second edition from Fantasy Flight Games. I played that all the time. At the same time as running D&D, I played Descent. And I would be left feeling completely empty from the experience because well, this was prior to like Gloomhaven and those kinds of games being around, but I thought it did a good job of mechanizing the role-playing experience or the dungeon crawl experience, but a very poor job of creating an emergent narrative or real critical thinking, or really the, the kind of limitless expanse of role-playing that is my preferred uh, entertainment <laughs> source. And although other people like acting and like putting on voices, I don't care about that at all. Um, I enjoy the world building, the problem solving, the critical thinking, the emergent narrative, the exploration and discovery, all that stuff. And what I realized was as a GM, I really enjoyed creating worlds, especially on a collaborative level. Um, I have a post about this on my blog about building your worlds collaboratively. And, and that's something that I took from um, Perilous Wilds and uh, by Jason Lutz and Jeremy Strandberg, which I really recommend for anybody of any persuasion. Um, I love the whole like, outsourcing of creativity to players with the caveat that they can't be authors of their own obstacles otherwise it's boring you know yeah. so that was kind of where i diverted from the story games ethos is this notion that everything should be shared no no i'm all about gm authority i just think you can outsource some of it to save on your own bandwidth and i think that's another thing is i'm very poor at math really really i'm not a good math person if i look at some numbers and then i gaze away for a moment, the numbers disappear like this. 
So <laughs> I, I, I just, I found, I remember the black hack. I was listening to an yeah. interview with um, uh, David Black, the author, and he was saying how uh, he has um, dyscalculia and how he can't do lots of number crunching. And I remember thinking, yes, I can't either. This roll under idea, it's amazing, you know? Um, so there's a lot of different discovery points. Dungeon World itself, what I really liked about it, and many PBTA games, is that the rules reinforce the mechanism in which you are supposed to be playing. They reinforce the concept, the core genre. So you want to play apocalyptic survivors? You, you will play a game that is extremely um, uh, oriented towards that experience. And I think that's a really cool thing. I just also don't like rules. And PBTA games have a lot of rules, even though they don't call them that, they're moves, it's still a lot of rules. And uh, that to me feels very limiting. I know for other people, they can use it as a scaffolding, but that's not me. Um, the other problem I have with them that I took me um, a long time to kind of recognize was they prefer player, um, or I should say they prefer character and story um, emphasis over player emphasis. So the, the characters will likely survive. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to do a TPK in like a Dungeon World game. Mind you, Dungeon World is not a good example of a PBTA game. It's probably the worst example, but it is also one of the best PD, PBTA games or one of the most popular PBTA games ever made by, by far, by far. Mm -hmm. um, but it still uh, emphasizes player character survival. And to me, when you do that, you take away the lethality of the game and that leads to people just hitting stuff with swords every single time. And that's not very interesting. It's interesting some of the time, but it doesn't engender or you know, create this feeling of problem solving that I really care about. So although I learned a lot of lessons from Dungeon World and collaborative storytelling and um, it, creating a cinematic experience, which Dungeon World combat is great. It's really cinematic. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, the GM has a lot of control over the spotlight and it doesn't have as much math. It has some, but it doesn't have as much as say fifth edition where you're adding together four or five bonuses before you've even determined whether a person is successful at something. Not my, not a fan of that. Um, it does have quick combat. It does have some pretty cool um, principles. I think the GM principles are very cool, but it does not have the kind of lethality that I like. Uh, World of Dungeons does to, for the most part. So that's why I, I see World of Dungeons as a superior PPTA game, if you want to call it that. It's probably the only OSR PPTA game um, of any real uh, repute. I think there are a couple smaller ones, but it's pretty well known. And I believe a number of um, OSR gamers use um, World of Dungeons as their base for that reason. But my eventual conclusion was, as I said earlier, games that are um, at their core about problem solving, exploration, um, GM authorship with some collaborative world building involved and um, a focus on uh, the fiction first, which is, by the way, another lesson from PBTA games was what's happening in the fiction should be the canonical truth and everything else should flow from that. And OSR games do that as well. Not all of them, but many of them do. And, and um, Into the Odd was one of those games that really, you know, uh, I think he calls it um, foreground growth. Uh, Chris McDowell calls it foreground growth. This idea yeah. that um, characters are changed from fictional uh occurrences as opposed to arbitrary mechanical frames that you place on top of them. So this is a long, long, this is a long winded way of saying, I figured out what I liked by playing a bunch of different games and slowly learning how to define it. And I don't want to throw any shade on PBTA games. Mm -hmm. I think that they are important. Um, and I think for my style of play, they were essential to arriving at the conclusion that I don't like them. And the <laughs> lethality part of it, I think there's kind of a misnomer or you tell me if I'm right on this, is that a lot of people think, well, it's almost like hardcore fifth edition or whatever, like you can kill people. And I mean, maybe a small component of that, but the true reason for lethality is that players try to avoid conflict. Right. And if they right. can, instead of just yes. entering it. Right. And they should be able to. I mean, I think that's a great point. Something that a lot of people in the rules light lethal part of the OSR that I like to spend time in um, have pointed out many times again, uh, something being lethal doesn't mean the characters die. Yes, characters have died in games I've run, but I, I haven't, well, no, I've definitely TPK'd in Karen, but I, <laughs> I, 
I think you are, as the GM, are responsible for providing the players with all the resources they need to resolve a situation um, without their characters dying, for the most part, for the most part. So for example, if you are providing them with an obstacle and that obstacle um, is obviously very deadly, you need to telegraph that information and you don't give it away. You hopefully assume that they will use critical thinking and problem solving to um, observe the clues that you're providing them and make the best course of action they can to survive. And that might involve the role of the dice, but I, I'm not a fan of like random DCC style mishaps. You know, I, you should be the author of your own doom. It's much more pleasurable that way. You know, you, if you know exactly why you died and it wasn't just something random, it has much greater meaning. And, and I, I think there is something at the core of storytelling in general, if I could be, if I could wax philosophical for a moment, <laughs> I think ultimately all storytelling is problem solving. Um, and, and I think it's, you're describing scenarios that are in and of themselves problems, but they also have to be solvable. If they're not solvable, they're not interesting. And um, to use an example of a game I, I detest, um, Candyland, the board game of Candyland. You make no choices in that game, none, zero. You just roll dice. And then if you're lucky, you land on a spot that gets you ahead of your um, other players. And I, I don't think that's a game. I don't, I don't think storytelling, I think if you're, if you're making a game about storytelling or if you're making a game about doing anything else, it, there has to be some agency there. And although um, <laughs> storytelling games are not necessarily about um, hitting people in dungeons with swords and getting their treasure, um, they can be about anything. I think that that specific frame is a really good way of telling stories because you have these easy to manipulate objects within the fiction of traps and puzzles and um, obvious obstacles. And I think the reason fantasy games are such a common uh, basis for storytelling in this construct, in this, in this framework um, is because they're really easy to understand. If I'm on a spaceship, I have a million different things that could happen. Like I think GMing science fiction games is much harder, much, much, much harder because there are literally infinite possibilities. When ironically, games that are that have magic and, and dragons and all that stuff, people kind of get that and they know what the limitations are. And that gives them a sort of foothold in or handhold <laughs> in, in the fiction to understand the problem and know how to solve it at the same time. And yeah, I realized that was... A, kind of all over the place but i think that is at the core what drives my kind of preferred game style which is um players engage with problems and solve them using uh their own skills not the not the character skills but their own skills and that's why things like uh my character has all these powers on my character sheet is just not interesting to me like i just i just i don't think that's interesting and if something is not interesting it certainly shouldn't be um, up for a dice roll to determine whether or not it results in, in um, something that favors the players or not. So if, for instance, um, the players are up against a creature that they cannot beat, I'm just not going to let them even try. I will make it clear that they don't have any options. And um, at its core, that's a not interesting situation. You know, I want to, you want to, make that as rare as possible. So yeah, all over the place there. <laughs> no, that's, that's good. And I mean, it, it touches on um, Chris McDowell's ICI doctrine, which is right. uh, information choice and then impact. Right. And I mean, you, I think you covered it quite brilliantly uh, as far as players need to understand what is happening. And so when you took on Cairn and you said, okay, I'm going to build my own game based upon some of that fundamentals of into the odd can you just kind of step us through the process of like how did you go yeah. okay i'm gonna i'm gonna take this platform or this mechanics and apply it to my own world yeah i mean so there's a lot there um i think i was influenced as much by into the odd 
as I was by Into the Odd Electric Bastion Land. Um, I had run, like my all-time favorite game is Electric Bastion Land, all time. There's, nothing comes close. I love Into the Odd itself and I, I loved it before Bastion Land was a thing, but I, I think it, it took the framework and added, um, you know, it, it removed levels. It emphasized foreground growth with examples and advice and all the stuff that Chris does best. Um, but it also created a um, universe that I think could get player engagement. Um, almost. Let me take a step back here. The two things I think it did that were really important. The first was it provided a handhold for being um, for for players to gain understanding about the world and how it works by utilizing electricity. It said, you know what players understand? They understand things that are similar to themselves. So by adding electricity to this sort of Victorian era uh, setting, players now have this added handhold where they can say, oh, I know how electricity works. It's not sci-fi. It's the same kind of game. There's still dungeons, but there's electricity in this world. And so a lot more is possible. And I think that was brilliant. I think it really helped people like me engage with the odd setting that is Electric Fashion Land. Um, that's the first thing it did. The second thing it did is it mechanized the framework of a dungeon crawl. There's only one city. You don't need to think of other cities. There's only one and it is an infinite. And here's how you generate it. And it's super weird. And then do you want dungeons? Well, there's only one dungeon and it's called the underground and it is limitless and infinite and below us. Oh, and if you want to get real crazy, we can talk about the living stars, you know? And so I think he figured out a way to um, merge the setting with the mechanics. And he's written about this. And I, I think it was a really smart move because it helped people who nominally maybe wouldn't be as interested in the fantasy tropes to um, get engaged with the setting. And, and the people that I first ran it for, none of them were D&D people. They were, they, they were more interested in um, this kind of uh, uh, Victorian punk setting or whatever he calls it than they were like your traditional D&D fantasy tropes. And I, so I wanna say that really worked for me and my group, um, even though my preference is kind of anything, <laughs> I still really appreciated how much they could engage with it. And I really saw it work. Um, so I fell in love with that concept, the idea of backgrounds and how that works. Like you have a background, which tells you about yourself. It gives you, it gives you um, a failed career that, lets the player work with a kind of scaffold for who their character is supposed to be very quickly. It takes very little time to build a character, unlike in fifth edition, where you'll spend three freaking hours with a new person building their character. Um, and then finally, this idea of a shared debt. They all had a shared debt. That, that is great because you immediately have the reason for why you're on the dungeon crawl to get the crazy thing. And so I feel like Chris really solved a lot of fundamental issues with OSR style gaming all at once. I really feel like making everything a save, um, whittling down the attributes, just three stats. Like, so I cannot speak more highly on that. And Chris knows how I feel about him. So <laughs> it's, I think, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant uh, system. And I think it does everything I will ever need for my kinds of games. However, what it doesn't do is easily translate all the wonderful OSR and old school modules that I happen to own and love, you know, and 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 I I have a lot of them. Um, there are a few for Into the Odd, and that's great, it makes conversions uh, unnecessary. But man, there's I want to run UVG. I want to run Winner's Daughter. I want to run a million other modules. I want to run Keeping the Borderlands. You know, I I I I um couldn't do that as easily as easily with Into the Odd. Yes, you can convert on the fly and everyone's done it, but there really was no system that just immediately dealt with, let's say, spell books. How does that work? Well, you could treat them like how Into the Odd treats oddities or arcana, okay, but are there, like, do you have to make that up on the fly? Is it fair? Does it make sense? How do you handle traps? How do you handle um, puzzles that rely on charisma, you know, all kinds of, or not charisma, but like uh, constitution or whatever, things that have been swallowed up by the other three attributes. There were just not that many resources available for that. And so what I really wanted was something like Nave, which is an amazing system, but more compatible with my preferred way of doing gaming, which isn't the odd. And um, as a sort of act of selfishness, I convinced Chris to do this 
jam, the eclectic bastion jam. Um, I ran it with one other person and Chris just sort of made the logo and said, fine, do what you want. And um, wow, we got a lot of hacks, way more hacks than we got adventures. And I recall thinking, man, I hope, I hope that someone makes a Creative Commons licensed version of Into the Odd, because at the time the Mark of the Odd wasn't a thing. Um, and I mean, it was, but it wasn't official and he didn't want to use it for a very variety of reasons. So there wasn't really an SRD for Into the Odd. Um, and a friend of mine, uh, Jim Parkin, he started working on this system called Weird North, which is a sword and sorcery Conan style Into the Odd hack. Um, and he, it, I mean, it's, it's great. I really like it. Everyone should check it out. It's, it's totally different than Karen. I mean, it has a magical corruption mechanic, which um, I was fortunate enough to bounce back and forth with Jim on a bunch. So you see a little bit of my influence there, um, but I also was the editor for it. And uh, Jim is really great at articulating um, old school principles. What he isn't great at is cutting them down to little tiny chunks. So I helped him do that. We went, we worked together on getting all the um, GM and player principles down to something that was, I think, digestible and fit on four pages or whatever. Um, Jim asked me what I wanted for being the editor. And I said, don't pay me anything. Make a Creative Commons license, the, make the game Creative Commons license. And he said, sure, whatever. Um, and I recall thinking, I'm going to steal this. <laughs> and, and that's what I did. That's what I did. So I took his original um, text, which, I mean, yes, I had worked on it with him. And obviously, I got his permission for it. But I took what he made, and I used it as the core for Cairn. But then I also pulled from Nave another Creative Commons license game. And I used the character generator from Nave to make it thematically appropriate, while also using a bunch of... Um, Gavin Norman's Dolmenwood setting as sort of like a, a, a source of details for things. Um, I tried to ensure that I wasn't infringing on anything. So I had to like remove certain um, concepts and creatures and names that only Gavin had ever used, but Welsh names and such are just available. So I, I went through and made sure they were all um, on the up and up. And um, in the end, you have Karen. The, the only real original thing that I did was the um, magic system, which was just like Nave, except you take a fatigue that takes up an inventory slot. You know, basically turning um, your, you can hold as many spell books as you want, but when you cast them, um, you can hold one fewer thing. And you might be a person who doesn't have any armor because they want to ensure that they have enough inventory to, cast more spells. So that kind of explained why people wouldn't be wearing armor if they happened to be into magic. You know, it was a kind of cool thing. Yeah. I did get inspired by um, Mouse Ritter by Isaac Williams, which is one of the coolest games ever made. Um, also an Into the Odd hack, but has some really cool magic system. And and it, it has a kind of, um, uh, what do they call it? A um, cut and whatever. It uses tokens for the character sheet. Um, so when you get uh, sick or something, you get a condition and that takes up a slot in your character sheet, which is brilliant. I did use that idea, but I, I connected it to magic, which is a little bit, I think the only original thing that I actually came up with. And in the end, I made the whole thing Creative Commons license. I wrote an SRD and put it on my website, um, on the Karen RPG website anyways. And um, I think that was kind of the most uh, significant thing that I did from an outsider's perspective is I made this like, easily hackable SRD, which that's the thing people don't do, right? That they, they don't make SRDs a thing. And I remember doing that because I saw that it was done for Blades in the Dark and I saw it was done for um, the Indie Hack, which is another game people should really check out. Nobody knows about it, it's awesome. But um, the Indie Hack has a cool little SRD and it's been there for years and years and years. And I thought, oh, well, I can just do that. So I wrote up in Markdown this the SRD for the Karen, um, all the Karen rules, just one long line. And I think that made it really easy to hack because people, people could then fork the repository that I had written it on and, and make their own version of it. So I got an Italian version of it and a German and a French. And Why do you think that's important? Like that the the open gaming license or the SRD or the Creative Commons, like why why is that so important to you? Well, I mean, there's, a, there's some really practical reasons. If you're making something small already, having to like tack on the OGL 
is a pain in the ass. It's, I mean, I, I have zines here where the OGL is like a third of the page count. You know, yeah. uh, um, I recently wrote um, 200 spells for Karen that um, I had to change all the names so that the OGL would not need to be applied to anyone who wanted to use the spells. So I had to come up with, you know, instead of Dimension Door, I had to come up with some other stupid name. And I think the idea behind that was uh, someone had posted on Reddit, like, is there a, 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 CC, a Creative Commons licensed version of the classic D&D spells? And someone pointed to Karen, but the guy said, oh, it only has a hundred of them. And I, you know, I want to be able to account for every single minor spell. So I responded and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do that. I'll just go and find all of the uh, OGLs from when it first came out to the most recent fifth edition one. And I will pull spells from all of them and I'll, you know, I'll make it available to people. So if, for example, they need to quickly know what the into the odd ish version of a spell is that they're coming across in some old school module. Like, you know, I've got like this reprint of um, uh, the keep on the borderlands and there's spells in here that I don't have written. And so people can now just quickly go and grab it. I don't know where they are, but people can quickly go and grab the spell from my website and go, Oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. And let's say they wanted to write their own kind of traditional fantasy romp in a zine. And they wanted to use a spell that everyone's familiar with, but we can't, you, you know, say the name without including three pages of the OGL. Well, now they can't. And so, so it's important because there is a like, you know, limiting factor to some of this. Um, I still get questions like, oh, I'm writing something for Karen. Do I need to include any license? And like, no, you don't. You can take the entire thing as it is and change the game. And and, and that happened. Um, Liminal Horror, which is a hack of Into the Odd that's, um, I'm sorry, a hack of Cairn that is used for Cthulhu kind of games, you know, investigative horror games. Um, the, the author of that system, he, he told me that he would not have made it had I not made my SRD CC by SA 4.0 because it just, he was able just to click copy and then just change what he wanted and not have to really worry about making every sentence and paragraph technically different so that he doesn't violate some license because you can't copyright mechanics you can copyright text unless the text is in some um, srd or, or or license of um, some kind so that's sort of where i was coming from was no one gives a shit about my like i'm an indie rpg person who sells a game at cost on amazon like i don't care copy my game I, if more people are playing rpgs as a result great now if this is your livelihood that's totally up to you you got to do what you got to do and i'm fine with that um i just prefer personally if we're all running elf games and we're using you know our own homebrew old school rule sets anyways here is one that might save you some time and again it was about being able to use into the odd as a base as a chassis for running the kinds of games that i love that's all i really wanted to do and now you can do it and and you know just today i got sent a version of Cairn to run Mothership stuff, which I have everything, every mother, module for Mothership. I have all of them. I don't like the actual game. I mean, I like a lot of it. I don't, I find it too crunchy for me. Yeah. Even the new one is it's too crunchy for me. And so I will never run it. I don't collect rule systems. I have a very small collection of rule systems um, and Mothership is not ever going to be one I run, but I am going to run their content their modules and now i have this new one actually there's two coming out <laughs> now i have one in particular called it's called meteor corp by david lombardo and i he just saved me a ton of time you know now i can run mothership stuff fantastic with my preferred system you know um well, so that's why i like it that and way. that probably leads us into the the transition say from osr to nsr <laughs> mm -hmm. the new school uh revolution and how you're transforming the way people look at games or, or embrace games and the future potentially of how role-playing games are created, distributed, and just used in general. Well, that's some, that's some, uh, that's some I don't lofty. know if it's high. Yeah, that's some lofty, <laughs> lofty, lofty aims there. Uh, so again, the NSR thing to me was, uh, again, it's not original to me. Um, there's a post on Bonebox, Bonebox chant in uh, December of, I want to say 2019, something like that. Um, where 
the NSR is defined for the first time, and it's it's it it actually was updated recently, by the way. So people should go back oh. and look at it again. Yeah, um, there finally is a, a definition for uh, external interactions, which was one of the things that people were like, "What?" Um, for me, the discovery of the NSR as a definition, even if it's a tongue-in-cheek thing, the discovery of it was a kind of a permission to just like let go. And one thing that I had struggled with, and this could totally just be me, but I, I've seen other people say something similar. One thing that I had um, come up against a lot was I would say I liked a thing. And then people would say, well, that's not OSR. I don't like hearing no. And yeah, there is a sort of nostalgia around what is old school role-playing game. And it, it it's, it's, it's nonsense. Like, we're we're making it up. Nobody knows what they're doing. Uh, there are people who are playing BX, and by the way, I, I have played BX. I love. I think. Well, I played BX Essentials before it was OSC. It's a great system. It's too crunchy for me. I still think it's awesome. If you're going to run an old school game as old school as you as you like, as in using an old school system with an old school module, use OSC. It's fantastic. Everything Gavin Norman does is brilliant. But it's not for me. I don't need a Constitution score. I, I you know, I. I don't need wisdom. I don't need perception checks. I get it. People used to use it. I get that. I, I don't care. I don't, I, you know, there's these like sacred cows of D&D. Chris McDowell is frequently referred to as an OSR, like, you know, progenitor as a, as a philosopher. Yeah. He was, he was the original creator of the OSR discord server. Um, and he's like, ah, I don't know if I'm OSR, you know, it's like, I, I like to, you know, I like to play games the way I like to play them and I have no problem decimating ODD, which is what he did it, you know into the odd was into the odd originally it was about how do i run like a searchers of the unknown style game um uh but with with emphasis on these things i care about so i guess if i had to describe the nsr and what it meant to me and what it maybe means to me now is it's just the osr but less focused on keeping people out and defining what it should or shouldn't be um, which is easy. It's easy to say we accept everything, but it's true. You know, the NSR has hardcore PBTA and story game adherence. And it has, I mean, this is a freaking trophy shirt. This is the PBTA of story game. This is like, you know, it, it's not, I don't think it helps us create community when we say no. And that's what the NSR is about. It's not saying yes. The, the, the best game is the game you like to play. You want to be a hardcore Pathfinder person? fantastic great it's not for me but i'll still look at what you've done and give you opinions about it and try to be helpful and i think that's really the strength of the nsr again tongue firmly in cheek i think the strength of the nsr is support and just we're not you know i see this kind of attitude from not a lot of people anymore but for a long time from from some of the the bigger osr um thinkers about how we're, you know, this is what it is. It's defined this way. And people who play a different game, well, that's not, that isn't the old school way. And it's like, dude, this, this, this is not true. People played old games in a myriad of ways. And you can see evidence for that on, there's a, a great blog called um, uh, Lich Van Winkle's Return to Gaming. And that's a, that kind of goes over like the OSR nostalgia circus, you know, this yeah. idea that we're playing how it used to be played. No, you're not. I mean, you are in that, people used to play these games in a million different ways and nothing you're doing is original but you're also not like like keeping people out is not keeping it old school and i think that was the second part of it is i i didn't like the more um uh include uh, exclusive aspects of the osr and i'm not the first to say this there was the sword dream efforts there was um, like towards a leftist OSR, all that kind of stuff that came out before. But to me, it, it, uh, basic human dignity and respect, that's what I care about. And um, I think there is this, there was this um, Gronyard style attitude towards people who are just getting into the hobby um, of telling them what it is and what it can be and what it can't be and who they're supposed to be. And I, I don't like that. I want to be extremely inclusive of not just every kind of person from every, you know, um, from the myriad of, of infinite diversity that is humanity, but also 
um, for their preferred playstyle. So if I had to describe it, I would say the NSR is a very welcoming and accepting fork of the OSR um, because it definitely sprung from that. And I think it's, I think that it is perceived as something more than it is. I think we we get to take advantage of the OSR label and still make stuff that is, oh, OSR, game, whatever, um, while also being free of the restrictions of the sacred cows that have long driven OSR style um, play and, 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 and process and creating. What I will say that it's not, what the NSR is not, is um, this reactionary anti-art punk like community that seems to occasionally come across this sort of like, um, typically transphobic uh, uh, aspect of the OSR. There are people on like various forums that are by their own admission um, uh, highly exclusive and um, see things like Mork Borg of all things of being, you know, representative of some new social movements. I know those people can go to, go to hell. Like I have no, those people are not welcome. Everybody else is. If you're, you know, everybody and not Nazis, obviously, but <laughs> so, well, and, so yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, that probably leads into your little tiny uh, neighborhood library boxes and you trying to basically share your love of role-playing games with just strangers that might stumble across it. Like I could, I could just imagine a kid <laughs> opening up one of these libraries and you just explain to everybody what you do with these yeah. little libraries. Yeah, so um, there are these things in mostly North America and the UK called Little Free Libraries. To be clear, there is a nonprofit that's also called that that sells you these libraries. I'm not talking about that. That, that is some of the libraries that I put, put my game in or other games are um, LFS, LFLs, but there are a whole bunch that have nothing to do with it. I would say the majority of the ones in my area that I visit are not part of the little free library just community or, run or yeah they're just people just do it people just do it you know our local library actually has their own version of it made of like recycled boxes and stuff and they get a visit too but um yeah so this isn't like an endorsement of those things i mean they're fine i don't care people have opinions about them but I, i'm not really focused yeah. on that um basically again this is the thing that wasn't my idea um i think um there's someone called Roz who lives in the uk that i know through twitter that was doing it and then um uh, Sean, who made Rogueland, was doing it, and a couple other people I saw were um, basically taking Tunnel Goons or Knave or any of their own games and putting them in a little plastic bag with dice and sticking them in these little libraries. And I thought that is really cool. Um, and since I happen to sell my game through my Gumroad page, and I have a lot of um, copies of it here i thought well you know it's like a dollar these things cost me like a dollar when i buy hundreds of them at a time so why don't i just buy some dice and some plastic bags and, and put them all together and then i'll just start dropping them off at what turns out the um ubiquitous libraries in my town i mean there are i think i have 15 just that i regularly visit and there are even more i'm seeing them all the time and i'm just like ugh, i can't add another to the list um but i have i actually keep them ready to go um, yeah, so here's, so I, I try to distribute between five and 20 of these a month. I keep them in the truck of my car and I know where they all are now. Um, uh, they look like this. They're just my game plus some dice. I'll often stick other games and other, um, adventures in them as well. I get permission first, like Ben Milton said, yeah, you can do Knave and Maze Rats if you like. So I actually have some, oh, they're over there somewhere, but I have some like really nice copies of Maze Rats that I put in there that I print from Lulu, four bucks, you know, whatever. Um, I, oh, and I have some copies of the, um, the, uh, uh, wow, am I forgetting the name? The Apocrypha, the Lithiascape, uh, the OSR manual, whatever. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, I have some copies of that that I've also distributed with Karen. Um, I don't actually think Karen is the best example for a game for them to play because it doesn't have a lot of stuff to go with it. I did get a whole bunch of um, Demon Driven to the Maw by Brad Kerr, which is for Karen. He gave me a couple extras um, that I could just distribute. And I've also, I've received stacks of things from other people um, uh, that they also said I'm allowed to just distribute. I've already gotten rid of all those, but um, yeah, I think, 
the idea was just, I thought it was so cool. The idea of like, there's a high school near my kid's daycare and kids walk home every day up the road. And there's a couple different um, interestingly placed little free libraries around the high school. And so I thought, hey, imagine they were like looking through this for books. I don't, maybe, I don't know why they would, but maybe they would. Um, and they found, they saw this little dice sticking out and they saw this kind of weird looking book inside of a plastic bag. Maybe, maybe they would want it. And they always do. It's always gone. So unless someone's going through there and throwing them out, I, I, <laughs> I think it's working. Um, I've also donated them directly to libraries. I sent a bunch last month to a library in Texas um, that was having like a games centered library event or whatever. Um, and I'll also send them to people who ask me for them. I mean, seriously, if someone wants one, message me, I will send you one. It's not a big deal. Um, yeah, so I think the idea was just making gaming accessible. And I actually don't think Karen does that that well. I think, I think it needs more to be immediately accessible. And what I'd love to do is include like, like the system DERF, um, if you're familiar with it, has a bunch of really great small adventures that I've like home printed that um, I, I think would actually be like perfect for this. But what I need to do is spend some time and write a tiny little dungeon to go with it so people can play it. And I've made a multiple attempts and then it keeps turning into these huge projects. So that's kind of on me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's kind of all it's missing. Hopefully though, they'll get these and they'll see that there's maybe, maybe they'll already know what D and D is, but now this is like, Oh, this is something totally different. And yeah. So that's the reason I do it. Well, I'm, I'm just, and that makes me think about, about you like spreading the gospel of role-playing games first of all. And then secondly, the, with the NSR, and you, I think there's a lot of people that have entered the hobby through 5e. And mm -hmm. I suspect yes. at some point, they're going to grow tired of 5e. And they're going to start looking in, in different areas of tabletop role-playing games. And NSR might be a good fit for them. Yeah, I feel like many of them could also be served by, you know, Five Torches Deep by Ben Dutter or just straight up OSE. I mean, the modules for OSE are just fantastic. Um, my all-time favorite single module is Winner's Daughter, which um, I make a little insert for it now that has Karen's, all the Karen conversions. And actually, um, there is one store in Canada that's going to be selling it with the Karen insert, which I oh, think wow. is awesome. Yeah, I thought that was pretty rad. Not my idea. Um, so I would love for people to discover those modules i mean and that's what it comes down to the reason i made karen was so i could stop thinking about systems i feel like there is an emphasis on system 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 let's make systems but the fkr people they they have they have they have one thing right um it's settings not systems you know you just need a basic framework and if i wasn't running dnd style things with attributes and rounds and all that I wouldn't even use Karen or into the odd. I would probably do some kind of free form nonsense with 2d6 and my version of reality is better than yours or, you know, some fake version of Arnesonian gameplay. I would probably prefer that. But when I pick up one of my modules, I want to be able to run it in a way that gets at the core assumed gameplay of the system itself, of the uh, adventure itself. So like if I can, make that process easier for people because not everyone gels well with lots of math or not everyone feels like there's a reason to have six attributes. Um, I think if I can make that easier for people, then yeah, this is right for them. But what I would actually hope is that more people find Nave or the Black Hack, which is still too crunchy for me, but, but, but still it's more accessible than fifth edition. Um, for me, if they can end up playing a game that makes them feel, um, more agency as a player and that the world that they're building with their um, storytelling is um, feels as true to them as this one, then that that's a success. You know, people, people should come away from these stories they're telling and feel like they have real impact. Um, they should care that their character is going to die, not because they've invested hours in their character, but because the, um, the world that they've built is not like any other. And I think maybe that's kind of an irony because I do want people to play these different settings, but um, I also think people can make it their own. And, and honestly, my preferred way of playing as a result of running Dungeon World for so long is making up my own world. That's what I prefer. And that's all like my personal projects are writing 
content just for me. Some of it I'll end up publishing, but a ton of the stuff that I've written is nobody's seen but my players. And it's because it's super personal, you know? Yeah. And so what, you know, closing out here, what are you working on now uh, as far as the future of Karen or other projects? Yeah. So I, 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 on a regular basis, I do conversions and upload them to the website, um, to the Karen website. Just, I, I want it to be easy to get. So I have, I, like, I really want to do a conversion of evils of Elmire and I really want to do a conversion of all the trilemma stuff. And um, there's a, I want to do conversions for some of the more recent OSC releases, like um, incandescent grottos and stuff, um, just because they're so accessible. My own writing is pretty freaking Jewish. And I don't know how uh, approachable it's going to be. It's something I'm grappling with. Um, I also build my modules and adventures from actual play, like playing with my, um, I have these three people I play with that I've been playing with for years that even though some of them have moved away, we still really make an effort to try to play together um, just because it's like this trifecta of one who really likes exploration, one who likes problem solving, and one who likes um, uh, emergent narrative and story. And it's, it's just like a weird, perfect trio of playing. Um, so with them, I've run two, two campaigns um, that I have not published yet. Um, there is a third called the Clay Shelf and another called the Positron Library, both of which are for Electric Bastion Land that you can get on my itch page for free. Um, but since those were released, we've run two separate campaigns um, over the last couple of years, mostly during COVID, mostly play-by-posts, like daily play-by-posts. And I have synthesized those two campaigns into one module. I am planning on releasing it as a legit, like, Maybe not Kickstarter, but it will look really professional. It is going to be a legit adventure. Um, uh, it's called the Dawn Plague, and it's—I mean, it, it's basically for Cairn. It's—it is forest fantasy. It's also about the Holocaust, and it's about Israel, and it's about um, how we, how Jews, have um, been others at some times and we have otherized other people and we have um, internalized the pain of our forebears and um, released that pain on others and what that looks like. It's also about Kabbalah, which is kind of crazy. And um, yeah, but in essence, all those themes are going to go into a um, overland hex crawl style adventure that has um, some dungeons that are, I think, either going to be spectacular or they're going to fail. I don't know, I've written them and they're crazy. They're just like, I don't, I've never seen anything like that. So I, that's either a, a sign that what I'm doing is a terrible, terrible idea or that it's going to be great um, and special. Um, either way, I think it's going to be a fairly divisive adventure if people like it because it's, it is very much for me and people like me, but hopefully it will be accessible and at least people will think it's kind of cool. Um, I have, secured one artist for it who I'm super excited about and I have been talking to another who I'm equally excited about who we're waiting to see what that person says um, but it is going to hopefully have pretty amazing art as well so it's going to be an adventure it's going to be for Karen it's going to be legit I will say I'm using as a base of inspiration for how it will look um, in terms of format um, uh, Evelyn M and Camille Greer's um, uh, uh, where the wheat grows tall, um, another Canadian, uh, one of the coolest modules I've ever had the opportunity to read. So I'm using, I'm kind of looking at that as like, this is what I want to do. Something that looks like this, that's totally out of this world and has amazing art and is still an accessible dungeon crawl adventure where you hit stuff with swords. Like, yeah. So that's my, I've been working on it for a year and I have not released a lot about it. Some people know some about it, but um, I do this now thing they, where I get really. Now they know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Although there's like a ton written, I just haven't. Um, yeah, I, I, I've tried to be more private about it. Uh, it sounds like a very cool. personal project, right? Yeah, I guess. I, mm. I, I, I didn't know. To be clear, I had no idea this, this is what it would be about. It just kind of happened. And then I realized what I was doing. And I thought, oh, shit, I'm going to lean into this pretty hard. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it is what it is. Um, and there's a couple other things that. I'm working on that is Karen adjacent, like maybe doing a box set next year or something similar, like just just like more like 
you know, people often complain that I don't have a lot of examples of like the kind of forests that I like. Like I might do a book. I'm, I have a bestiary I have written. It is not illustrated and it's not laid out. I want to kind of do that. I have a bunch of stuff on the website that I want to make into um, booklets. Like I have a, a kind of example of play and FAQ that I built that um, I'm still adding to. So there's a lot on the website that I'm adding to just, I don't really talk about it, but I add to it all the time. I'm going to distill some of that and maybe make a two or three books that you just kind of get together. It doesn't actually have to be a box set, but might be just like more resources for people new to the game. Um, similar to what you've seen it for stuff like OZR, where they'll have a GM section, a player section, and then an introductory adventure. I still kind of want to do that. So you might see that. And then I am writing a pretty exhaustive um, blog post about good dungeon design. That's not my opinion. It's like basically me looking at the opinions of every master distilling them into um chris mcdowell style three bullet point um uh bits of advice and then creating a dungeon as a sort of example using those that advice so i i do have that in the works as well and this is all just a hobby yeah yeah i mean this is this is the thing that i do by day i i work at a worker owned tech company and um, I, I work remote and I, I do sales and I deal with business. And so one of the reasons why I don't really try to make a lot of money with this or even make any money in some cases is because I don't want customers. I'm not interested. I, I'm, I want people who do this for a living to have success and I will do whatever I can to ensure that, you know, I, I really do want to give them the bulk of, of whatever proceeds people can get from this kind of stuff. But I, for my own purposes, I, I just want to kind of pay for my modules habit. My, you know, I have a I have a PayPal account where like you buy one of these for me, it's gonna get turned into some kind of weird, you know, OSR stuff that I'm gonna buy soon. Um, there is a T-shirt coming in the next couple of weeks by very popular demand. It's gonna be um, union made, non sweatshop. I'm gonna sell it at just above cost to handle some things. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna be selling a Karen T-shirt that, uh, again. It's not my idea. People just kept asking me for it. And um, so I did the research. I found one that I thought was ethical and cool, and it turned out to be really close to me. So um, I'm actually, I've, I've already paid for them. They're going to be arriving here, hopefully within the next week. And then I will sell t-shirts for Karen. Not really exciting, but it is something people have been asking for. So there. Oh, that's great. And then one last thing, where can people find your work? Uh, so that if they're interested in downloading Karen or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So Karen is totally free to download you as a PDF. You can print it yourself as a booklet. You can also print a kind of mouse reader style token version of it. Um, all of it is at karenrpg.com. That's C-A-I-R-N-R-P-G.com. Um, you can also find my blog at newschoolrevolution.com. Don't take the name too seriously. And um, I have a bunch of other stuff I've done on itch on yochaigal.itch.io. Um, and it's it's like a, just one shot world is there. Karen is also there. You can also find um, the two into the odd um, products that I've made. One is an overland adventure site. Uh, it's kind of a weird West take on Electric Bastion land that I'm super proud of, but nobody knows about. And then um, the Positronic Library, which is um, illustrated by the same person that did the Karen character sheet, which if you haven't seen it, is so awesome. Look at this. It's so awesome. Um, so yeah, that's um, Francesco Zanieri uh, did this, or Lico Peo. Amazing work. Hire him. Um, he illustrated the dungeon, Positronic Library. So it's just like a simple pseudo dungeon for Into the Odd that's also free. So you can get there. And you can also, one thing I'm going to mention, um, I wonder if they're how they'll feel about this, but uh, the NSR Discord has um, an offshoot called the Cauldron, which is a discourse server, not to be confused with the Discord or Discord, but a discourse server that um, I'm the tech person for it. We have a team of moderators. We do everything democratically and we're moving towards making it as purely democratic as possible. Um, it is a web-based forum, much like the OSR pit or the gauntlet forums. You've seen that. Um, we just went public with it yesterday, as in anybody can join it now. I'm not like singing, you know, trying to get a bunch of different new people, but if people are interested in having um, kind of slower, 
non-chat-based conversations with other designers and players. It is a good place for that. And I'm really proud to say we have some amazing designers who are just like, you know, I'll put out a question like, is my dungeon weird? And then I'll get this, you know, this person I have just immense respect for will say, here's what I think uh, about your post. And I just, I find it so valuable. So if you're looking for a community that is um, inclusive and helpful and kind, but loves hitting stuff with swords, um, check out our Discord server called The Cauldron. You can get the links from our Discord or from um, some tweets that I've made. I don't know, it's out there. Great. Well. I really appreciate you joining me today uh, and sharing just uh, the wealth of information that you know about the NSR, OSR, and just sharing your journey. So I really appreciate it and uh, wish you all the best in the future iterations of Karen and all your projects. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed being here.